0: What does flow mean to you? Flow is a state of mind, a state in which a person becomes fully immersed in an effortless and continuous progression. To me, the ultimate goal in jujitsu is finding that perfect role with perfect and effortless flow. I'm Professor Hayden Martz, and this is the Flow BJJ Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Flow BJJ podcast. Today we have episode nine and we have a special guest. Sandy and I are going to sit down with James Michael Smith, uh, Henzo Gracie, first degree black belt and owner of Refugee Jiu Jitsu. Uh, How are you doing today?
1: I am well. Good to see. I would say good to see you guys, but I can't see you.
2: (laughs) Hey, Jam.
0: Hey, Sandy. So, uh, basically, we've had some episodes in the past, uh, just kind of, I love to hear the origin story, kind of, you know, the journey to black belt, where it all started. A lot of, uh, a lot of our students are newer uh, white belts and blue belts, so hearing the story of how someone made it to first degree black belt is something that uh, a lot of people like to hear, so... What uh, what got you started? I know you did some other martial arts first, so uh, what got you into martial arts in general?
1: <clears throat> it was Karate Kid. Um, <laughs> nice. In, in the theater, Karate Kid and then Big Trouble in Little China sealed the deal. Uh, <laughs> so I'm an 80s kid, so that was like right at the height of the 80s karate ninja craze was when I was at the right age to start martial arts. So... I started training uh, Shotokan karate was my first style that I actually really trained in for a long time, competed. Um, yeah, and then all, like that was that was elementary to middle school, and then middle school to high school, I did uh, Taekwondo and some different Okinawan styles. So just bouncing around, you know, different karate schools when dad would move because he was a pastor. So we would move uh, to a new place, I'd find a new karate school and, That was kind of the only sport I was good at was martial arts. And um, so then I did that through college on and off. I, you know, would just study everything I could find from pretty much any martial art. But a lot of Bruce Lee stuff, like read everything I could get my hands on by Bruce Lee and just had a real fascination with martial arts in general. So did that until sometime in graduate school. When I was just bored with, I was at the time I was doing Tomsu-go, to which is really similar to taekwondo, almost identical. And I was just really bored with it. The I had been doing it for twenty something years, and the classes were the same thing every class. And there's just only so much kicking a pad and light tap scoring that you can do before it just gets monotonous and. Sure. Uh, so I was just looking for something new. And at the time I was working on staff in a church down here and a young guy came and visited the church. And my senior pastor said, Hey, this new young guy, cause I was over like the young adult ministries, twenties and thirties. He said, Hey, this new guy visited the church. Uh, he just opened up a martial arts school in the neighborhood, take him out to lunch, get to know him, and invite him, you know, welcome him to the community. So that was when I met. My instructor, uh, Derek Richardson, or TC, which is short for Thundercat—that's his jujitsu nickname. <laughs> nice. What a and great jujitsu nickname, by know. the way. Oh yeah, especially if you train under Henzo, the logo looks almost identical. Exactly. Um, nice. So I met uh, TC and I had lunch, and uh, he he took me by the academy. He's so like, "Hey, check this place out. And, you know, I just opened it up. He had lived with. He'd moved back home after." Um, college and then moved to new york to train at Enzos, and then came back home basically to start this martial arts school so it was in a little uh, warehouse area not a warehouse but like a kind of one of those office warehouses like a little nondescript office uh, not a strip mall but like a just an office park yep. so it was away and walked in and it was um I just, I grilled him. He We laughed because I asked him, like, probably two hours worth of questions because I'd done so many martial arts. Had he training. trained uh,
0: did he train in any striking arts prior to jujitsu?
1: Yeah, his background was very similar to mine. He's a few years younger than me, but his background was similar to mine. Grew up, you know, all things ninja and karate and, you know, all that stuff in the late 80s, early 90s. And so he had done taekwondo and I think hapkido and, and judo. And then uh, eventually found jujitsu, I think, while he was in college. So uh, he had a head start on me <clears throat> in, in grappling, especially with his judo background. I had never done any grappling. You know, I was the when you hear people say, yeah, I trained this martial art and we did a little ground stuff like that. <laughs> that's <about laughs> that's you know?
0: usually amounts to
1: absolutely zero. So yeah. when he
2: opened his school, what was his ranking?
1: He, at the time, was re- – so he had gotten his purple belt from Henzo's and then had moved back to North Carolina, and he had gotten uh, started training back here and, and had gotten a brown belt, but he, he really wanted, like, to be a Henzo all the way through mm-hmm. guy. So he actually asked Henzo, he said, listen, you know, I'm gonna, I want to keep training when I can, fly up there in New York, but I want to be ranked under you. So for the first few years of our, of the school, he would, you know, fly up to Henzo's, put on his purple belt, train there, and, and um, eventually got earned his black belt under Henzo, but doing it while running the school right. down here. That's awesome. That's, that's so he, really cool. He was, um, he was a very, he was a brown belt by some standards, but a purple belt by Henzo standards. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so. so backing up real quick, A question that came to mind as you were moving around looking for karate schools as you were in middle school and high school how how did you go about finding them at the time
1: because no internet at at the time it was a phone book or black belt magazine you know they have listings of directories and but we lived in smaller towns so there was never anything near me um so it would just be like driving by somewhere and seeing it and going in and trying a class
0: were your, were your parents really committed to keeping you in, the, in martial arts or was it you dragging them along for the ride?
1: No, they saw that that was one of the things that I was really uh, committed to and really good at. And so they were very good about, even when we moved, like we, I grew up in Savannah. So even when we moved to Macon, Georgia, which is in the middle of the state, my dad would uh, drive me back to savannah like a three-hour drive to compete at a a karate tournaments because we used to do those every month nice cool they were they were pretty devoted i think that was the the one regret my mom's told me is when we did move the one thing that she was sad about is that i had to stop doing karate at my first school which had become like a family my and was you know like a father figure his son was one of my best friends and there was like a little group of us that trained together competed together watched 80s karate movies together
0: <laughs> i know my mom is probably going to listen to this podcast and i'd be lying if i hadn't watched the karate kid at least a hundred times too so i i can't be completely silent while you say that that was uh, the factor for you starting um
1: absolutely yeah so So, actually i should say my first foray was rocky i wanted to box when mm -hmm. rocky came so my parents bought me a little boxing gloves but i quickly realized you can't box by yourself (laughs) so then we decided okay let's try karate so (laughs) fizzle out very quickly my friends and i would like i would give one one glove and i'd take the other glove and we just we all just,
0: to, <laughs> just slow so, fast.
2: so jm i get this question a lot and because i've never trained any other martial art besides jiu-jitsu what is what would you describe the difference between jiu-jitsu and uh, karate would be
1: um the, the way i break it down when people ask it which they inevitably do you say jujitsu, yeah. and they make hand motions they
0: make the hand motions
1: you know, yeah. it's <laughs> Uh, the way I do is I say the focus of karate or traditional martial arts is to strike, to 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 hit your opponent, to do damage through hitting, kicking, punching. You're trying to hit them. You're trying to do kinetic damage. The focus of jujitsu and grappling martial arts is you're trying to control the person who's trying to hurt you, and you are free to use strikes. I, I'm a firm believer in strikes as part of jiu-jitsu. As a whole curriculum, but the goal, especially when you move into a sport uh, setting, the goal is control and to uh, render them either unconscious or unable to continue. And then we then I talk to them about you know what tapping out is and how we train it and, and all that kind of stuff. But one is to control your opponent, and one is to damage your opponent, and and there's some overlap, but the, that's how I present it. Yeah. Awesome. I
2: will direct everybody to this podcast. No. If I if I don't if I can't do it properly,
1: I, I tell them you're not. It's like I usually ask, "Have you seen Olympic wrestling?" And they're like, "Yes." Okay, you, we, you're not trying to pin the person on the ground. You're trying to make the person say, "I quit." Yep, and that's the simplest way to. Oh, I it.
2: like that. Yep. Thank you.
0: So, a lot of people who have been training for maybe six months or a year. Um, really like to hear what it was like training as far back as you started. So how how many years have you been training all together?
1: I started jujitsu training. I'll I'll just limit to jujitsu. And I believe it was either late late 2006 or early 2007. I can't quite remember. I get everything kind of runs together in my head. But around 2006, 2007, I I had my first – Jiu Jitsu competition in 2007. Nice. So but I think I might have been training, like I think I might have started slightly before then. And I started jiu-jitsu two days a week, and we have a, a martial arts curriculum at the academy, like a mix, it's not mixed martial arts sport, but like a blended martial arts curriculum. And I was doing that primarily and jujitsu as well. So I was kind of training two disciplines, two belt ranking systems. At the same time, um, so it took you know, it took me a lot longer in my jiu-jitsu journey because I was also focused on my uh, black belt in our martial arts program as well.
0: Dividing time, yeah, right. So, what was the uh, what was the early days of, of training jujitsu like for you?
1: Uh, tap out shorts and uh, <laughs> uh, no, it. So I started right after uh the ultimate fighter kind of blew up that was 2005. i started shortly after was like i really do want to i wanted to train jujitsu or grappling for a while because i suck at it i don't know anything about it and then when tc moved into the neighborhood and you know it's just like god was like all right here you go um so i started that it it was um it, it was it was just coming on the scene like you could tell people Hey, do you do you know MMA or UFC at the time? And they, they were most people knew what the UFC was, even if they didn't watch it. Right. And so you could say, okay, when they go on the ground, that's jujitsu, and people would have an understanding of what you're talking about. So that was around the time that I started. I I didn't roll with a black. I didn't know a black belt until uh, a while, like in a training session. I mean, I I had met Hinzo so as a white belt, but I didn't actually train with a black belt until I was, I think, well into my blue belt because there were just so few here in North Carolina. There were maybe at the time I could have probably named about four or five black belts
0: uh,
1: in the state. I'm sure there were a few more, you know, Hoist had been here setting up schools and uh, since the 90s. So there were, but in terms of my knowledge, I, you know, black belts were just these mythical beasts. (laughs) It what was
0: absolutely thought. the same way here when I first started. I mean, it may still be, <laughs> uh, you know, four, four or five that I could think of, maybe a few more that I wasn't aware of, but same idea. And, uh, yeah, people are spoiled now, um, to have so much knowledge right at their fingertips. Um, yeah. was yeah. there anybody that started when you started that made it all the way through to black belt with you?
1: um not yet there are people that made it we had a most of the people obviously made to blue belt and then stopped because that's just what blue belts do Uh, but we had a few uh, a couple that made it to purple but then they were uh like one of our really good uh grapplers made it almost made it purple but then had some health issues had to stop one of them did make it to purple, but then went off to college and then just life, all that kind of stuff. So they, they kind of trickled away. Uh, a number of them made it to black belt in our martial arts program, because that's about a you know, four to five year uh, curriculum. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the curriculum. So there were a lot that made it to black belt in that program, but um, I'm so far, we've got a couple of younger ones that started they were probably like five or six at the time now they're uh, you know late teens getting into early 20s and purple belts so uh we'll see but yeah now i'm the only original that i know yeah i'm the only original uh, student that in jitsu that made it to black belt under gc
0: it's crazy how that works isn't it
1: mm-hmm. and some it wasn't their fault i mean you know health issues yeah. uh, having to move Life happens, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it, it, we, there just weren't many of us. I mean, jujitsu class most weeks would be three, maybe four of us, maybe five. So the jiu-jitsu class was because jujitsu wasn't the main um, staple of the academy. I mean, the kids program and the martial arts, and that that's the main staple of the academy. So that was a much bigger, and still is a much bigger program the jujitsu was kind of more of the like grizzled you know <laughs> <just> <laughs> hardcore dedicated. oh yeah, yeah. You know, that's
0: especially early on where it wasn't you know the places people train weren't you know these big beautiful academies it was usually some sort of warehouse like you said yeah not, not really conducive for you know in, yeah. an inviting place for brand new people to walk in and just start training when they don't know anything about jujitsu yet
1: yeah yeah and i'll give tc credit uh every iteration of leadership martial arts like where we started in the warehouse and we moved to over to what was like this neighborhood library now it's a vape shop <laughs> <And> <laughs> eventually he bought land and built the cat his own academy so the place we're in now is like he built it and owns it and there's no rent or anything that's awesome. Um, each iteration though has been Uh, they've done a fantastic job of what many jujitsu schools don't do a good job of which is creating not just a welcoming environment like attitude wise but also hygiene wise and Mm -hmm. things being clean and a sitting area with wi-fi for parents to sit and and do work while their kids train a little cafe area you know all these things that people sometimes just don't even think about. Um, Like uh, uh, He has a book, actually, on how to run a martial arts school, Mm -hmm. and it's really good, and it's full of all that kind of stuff because there are a lot of people that are black belts in jiu-jitsu and less than white belts when it comes to running a business Mm -hmm. or teaching professionally.
0: Absolutely. That's one of the things that Tom really tries to instill in in his affiliates is how to run the business side of things. Not – not the to, to make money, but how to operate successfully and how to have
1: yep. a professional, a professional account.
0: environment.
1: You, yeah. yeah, that's huge. That's absolutely huge for growing and, and retaining people and making people feel safe.
0: Exactly, and uh, I think that helps invite more female students. It helps invite more uh, professional students. You know, doctors, lawyers, things like that. Yeah and it helps your kids program grow too um yeah you know parents because some of these kids in the kids program are children of professional people you know and and they they don't want to just drop off their kids just anywhere because they're instilling a lot of trust in an instructor when they don't know anything about the art they've never done it before you know
1: yeah it's a huge responsibility for anybody teaching especially teaching kids Yep. is you are there's an element of trust there that you know you 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 have, and trust trust has to be earned uh it, it you know it has to be earned all the time
0: mm-hmm. and yeah. that that goes for teaching anyone um you know you've got to you've got to definitely stay on top of your game in all areas for sure so yes. i know that you have some because i've heard some of them give me uh give me some stories here of uh time with with henzo training at the blue basement or training any any trips that you've made
2: i like the crew i want to hear a little bit about the cruises you've been on
1: oh yeah yeah those are two yeah two separate things i'm happy to i there's a lot i've blogged about some of my trips up to henzo's especially my first trip when i was a blue belt um and there was, there were those trips all blurred together in the beginning. TC would take me and our other blue belt at the time, you know, there were two of us that were blue belt. And so the three of us went up to Manhattan, got an apartment, um, you know, walked around the city one day and then the next three days straight, we're just doing like two or three classes a day at Henzo's, which I do not recommend actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> gotta be a that. lot. Do two at most but realize that the level of training is going to be higher than what you're used to at your academy so pace yourself <laughs> um, but we, we yeah there there's we the first time went up it was very dear in the headlights
0: i was going to say that had to be like eye opening as a blue belt going okay, there for so, the first time yeah,
1: so this, this was yeah i was a blue belt this was at the heyday of the ufc so this was when ufc was like at its peak before the reebok deal um you know when it was like the best years of ufc by far i think so i get up there as a blue belt now i have met him though, twice at this point once here in charlotte when he came to corner roy nelson at ufc uh that's when i first met him we, tc myself one of our students and, and wives went out to dinner and we had sushi together and Um, just hanging out in uptown Charlotte, which was really cool. And Henzo was, if if you see him in any interview, if you see him on TV, wherever you see him publicly, that is exactly what he's like in private, Uh, (laughs) um, is the same way Those, those two guys are exactly like what you see when you see them on, you know, any media. So I'd met him then. And he knew me because, uh, I do, uh, drawings. I do martial arts portraits and and i had at that point been drawing a lot of fighters and a lot of people especially so i would whenever you know I, i think i gave him or showed him a print or something and so he saw what i'd done i posted some of my work on um online and i he had commented i think retweeted or something the the portrait i had done of him and where he's sitting against the wall it's it's like one of the more well-known portraits that i've done in jiu-jitsu so he retweeted it and i just sent a message said um glad you like the portrait here's a proposition for you when i come up there to train how about i'll trade you this original for a gi- uh, an rga gi and rash guard you know like we'll, we'll just kind of joking around and so he was like my man absolutely come on <laughs> This is like a month before we actually went there. So when we got there, I, I took all my drawing stuff. I was like, well, for sure I'm going to get him and have him sign the original because we wanted to auction that off and to help raise money for a, a cause that we were supporting at the time. So I was going to auction off the original after he signs it and then get him all the prints that he wanted and, and some other uh, drawings that I had done for him as well. So I that's all in the background. I get to – we get the john's class murder monday the john danaher monday afternoon class <laughs> that that i we, i went and did the morning class john seven thirty a.m 7 a.m class which is really like an 8 a.m class because he was always late and i got tapped out probably a hundred times in <laughs> the round it was no v so you don't even know what rank everybody is. And I'm a blue belt, I'm rolling with somebody. He taps me out five times with the same thing. And at the end of the row, I'm like, please tell me you're a black belt. He's like, well, I run the affiliate and such and such. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, you're an instructor. That makes sense. It was like just totally demoralizing. So that afternoon uh, we're working, it's John's class, and there's probably about 60 or 70 people on the mat. I mean, it's packed. The blue mats at the time, before they put the nice Fuji mats in, they were like slip and slide. It was like that vinyl. Yeah. Uh, covering, and then, I mean, it literally turned into a slip and slide as soon as you started rolling. So, we're, I'm with my partner, and there's you know, a huge crowd of people. and Henzo walks in, and it's a big deal when Henzo shows up because as he's gotten older and gotten more expanding around the world, you know, he's not in the academy as much as he used to be. So, people are like, "Oh, Henzo's here," and some of the students up there had never met him yet at that point. And he walks. Through the class and he looks over and he sees me now i have only met him in person twice and you know in passing you could say or one dinner but in this room of like 60 people 20 something of them are black belts and he sees me and he like comes over my man how are you doing That's great. And, how you doing did you bring the artwork or you know mention the artwork or i think i mentioned something like that. And he's like oh yeah 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 see me after your class and the guy i'm partnering with who's a student there was just like wait what how do you know henzo (laughs) (laughs) i told him it pays to be a decent artist even if you're a mediocre grappler because then you're at least known for something else (laughs) i in that class though so that's one thing that's just mind-blowing henzo remembered me and walked over and like made a point to talk to me then the other thing is when we were walking in getting ready for class uh just in the locker room getting ready and george st pierre walks in uh just starts getting ready to you know changing uh, Frankie Edgar walked in starts changing um I think in that class Sapo Natal was there Gunnar Nelson walks in with his guys to, and then Hodger Gracie walks oh, in wow. so that was my first class at John's that's was Frankie, Frankie Edgar Hodger Gracie Gunnar Nelson I mean it's just ridiculous <laughs> so, that's it, crazy. I felt were like signing up for a, a basketball camp and going there and like the dream team being there during the warm up So
0: obviously you understand the gravity of that situation now, but did you realize it at the time? Like how well, Yes,
1: I did because of my uh because of UFC and artwork that I've been doing. I, I was I was very like it was back when you could really follow UFC. There weren't fights every weekend, they were like once a month. Yep. And so you knew all the fighters, you know, even on the undercard. And so, yeah, I knew the people and I was like, this is this is insane. Um, it's just insane. Like, I should not be in this room. Was uh, Henzo
0: still fighting then in that time? Frame? He,
1: that was right before he took the Matt Hughes fight in Abu Dhabi. Gotcha. So I think like the next year was when he and Matt Hughes did Abu Dhabi. Um, and then after that, I think he had a couple more, you know, with Sakuraba and then his uh, one FC, but yeah, that was, that was just before his, uh, Hughes fight. Gotcha.
0: Okay. You're the type of per- person who is more of a, a studier and a historian. So you understood the the gravity of that, but I, I can't say that most blue belts would realize how spoiled they were to walk, to walk into a room <laughs> so, like that.
1: Especially today. Uh, yeah, it it was it was something that was you couldn't help but realize it at the time because of, um, you know, just knowing the Henzo Gracie network. I mean, which, you know, you're part of Tom and, and Ricardo Almeida. And I mean, it all goes, you know, we're kind of from tributaries from the same river. Right. And but yeah, it, it was today people might not realize how amazing that environment was at the time yeah
2: so were you able to train or did you just kind of sit there like awe and like on watch
1: everybody else just go out no and- no you, you have to train yeah um <laughs> and and the thing about so i've been to him like trying to
2: focus <laughs>
1: um, yeah it's john's class is is a it's its own thing uh, you can't compare it to any other jujitsu class and because it is especially that monday afternoon that mm-hmm. when he was uh, Murder Mondays, because you would literally have guys coming down from TriStar, you would have world champions coming, you'd have current UFC champions, and they were coming to that class, not just to learn from John, but because in that class, there are people there who work nine to five jobs that could beat them. Yeah. And guys would come in, I mean, there are stories of certain MMA fighters who are signed with the UFC at the time coming in and just getting tooled by somebody. Who's not even a professional fighter. <laughs> That's awesome. And literally walking off the mat crying because of how badly they got beat by somebody who nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> and, and That's awesome. I tell people it's a whole, you, you don't know the killers that are in that room until you start rolling. And, there, and most of the time, the people that I met were I mean, even for New York, you know, the stereotype me being a southern boy going up to New York, everybody's loud and rude and crude. And most of the time, they were all some of the nicest people in the world. I mean, There were a few kind of, you know, butt heads that mm-hmm. made their way in. But most of the people that I ever met on any trip up there were just incredibly gracious.
0: So what's the, what's the structure, or at least at the time, what's the structure of a John Danaher class like?
1: <laughs> so every, every one of John's classes I ever took, and I probably, I've probably done maybe a dozen uh, over the years of, of his class. Um, every one starts, John doesn't do warm-ups. Uh, you, he says, my students don't pay me to do calisthenics, so I expect my students to come and warm themselves up in a manner that they see fit. And so about 20 to 30 minutes after a class is supposed to start, then he will walk out of the back. He would, I, obviously he's not there anymore, but he would walk out of the back room. And at the same volume that I'm speaking right now in a room that's, you know, massive, he would start talking no interrupt no introduction no nothing it would just be john walks on the mat everybody realizes oh john just walked on the mat everybody kind of starts milling over there and then he says so here's the position your partner's standing over you he's got a like he just starts talking and demonstrates the move demonstrates it two three times explains the key points just like he does if you watch his dvds and then says all right with your partner one two three and then goes and sits down and watches he just sits on the side and he watches and everybody trains it and he watches and they train it he watches and they train it and then he says all right guys and gets back up and just says now here's what i'm seeing some of you are doing this do this do it this way so it's very like um like an old school kung fu movie <laughs> The master, you know just sitting there watching while the students were all flailing around trying to do what he's saying. <laughs> so and, uh, that's the experience now uh, for the those who are in part of the squad and you know the his competitive students he, he would like while the others were doing one then he would go and in a smaller group show them something you know more or work with them a little bit more. But it it was a very it's a very it's the opposite complete opposite of Henzo. Like they're they're yin and yang, night and day, in terms of how they teach, you know, Henzo would tell a story about any technique he's going to show, he's going to story about how it came and or how he came up with it or how he learned it or who taught it to him. Then he's going to show the technique and then he's going to answer any question anybody has, probably throw in another story, and then walk around and work with every single person to make sure they have every detail. John's the complete opposite he, he will teach to the highest in the room and the rest of you have to reach to to you know stay afloat of the class yep. <laughs> so two completely different methods and obviously the results both are equally effective right <laughs> so
0: awesome. so what do you think it is that uh makes john so effective because you know as you just described that's that's a fairly typical way to teach a class you know to to teach the move two or three times uh, to watch everybody do it, correct mistakes, send them back to do it again. Um, is it just the the extreme level of detail or what do you think it is that makes him who he is?
1: It's not the level of detail because he doesn't. In my now, I listen. I'm not a. I'm not one of John's students. I am not a direct black belt under the main academy. I'm TC black belt, and we together have trained. I, I got my belt at RGA with TC and Silver Fox there. But I, you know, I, I'm not speaking as an insider. I'm speaking right. as a a little bit someone who's a little bit removed, but who has been up there enough times to have a feel for it. I think that what makes john so outstanding a coach and i think he's a better coach than an instructor but the, the athletes he coaches are the ones who are phenomenal the athlete the people who are in his class are good but it's but there's a wide range
2: mm-hmm.
1: so not everybody who just comes to one of john's classes is going to be a star in jiu but the people he coaches they probably all will be yeah so in that and of itself, I think is part of it. Is he pours into the students almost with a savant level of focus, like like Rain Man level of focus. <laughs> uh, every math, I mean, and Gordon Ryan has said this in the interviews about John that you know John doesn't do anything socially. He goes home and watches tape of martial arts, not grappling, but all martial arts, judo and sambo and everything. That's,
0: that's what i was about to say too i i i'm at an even further distance away from it than you are having never even sat through one of his classes but for me it looks like he spends all hours of the day studying preparing for those few hours that he's training his his elite students like the the level of study in between teaching is just off the charts.
1: Yeah, it very much. So. And it's like those football coaches who break down tape and who are so specialized, you know, like an offensive lineman watches tape. He doesn't, is not watching anything else, but what the, where the lineman's foot is in relation to his hand, in relation to the other guy's helmet, like that level of minutiae. Um, I feel like, and from everything I've heard and know and and what I've seen, that John does that with every martial, like all martial arts. And I think that's one of the main things that sets him apart is he's not a, he's not a jujitsu genius. He's a, he's a martial arts genius. Right. And can teach you something about any martial art because of, you know, not, not saying he's the best, at doing those you know his body can barely hold up sometimes and he i've never i he he was past his grappling days by the time i started training uh he was getting into surgery time and you know teaching from the side and everything but his mind was his biggest asset
0: yeah.
1: and it was definitely what i mean when he when he shaved his head it was it was the right move because he was professor x <laughs> the, the, the mutants that were gonna you know dominate the world so it was fitting
0: i wonder yeah. if and this just occurred to me now i wonder if those injuries and the lack of ability to physically train himself made him sort of double down on his study and the ability to try to make someone else you know the best I think the greatest have, of all time
1: yeah i think it has to i think in jujitsu as we age, we are there's a point where you're not going to be the competitive world beater uh, that you were, even if you ever were. There just comes a point you're not going to be the gym enforcer anymore because age catches up with you and speed and injuries and all of that kind of stuff. So people in jujitsu have a choice as they get older and more seasoned. Are you going to kind of cling to your own uh, ability to come in and, and dominate the room, or are you going to turn your attention to raising up the next generation of people right. that are going to be better than you? And I think, I mean, he definitely John Hinzo and, and uh, has that mindset. Um, you know, I, I know I know Tom well enough to know he has that mindset of like you want the next generation to take what you've done and what you've poured into them and to do it even better, yep. take it in a different direction. So I think that's what has made it so helpful. I know some people want to cling to their own competitiveness well into their later years. And I think the earlier you make the switch, the better your students are going to be as a result.
0: Yeah. Because just like, with you training jujitsu and then training the other martial arts program there's only so much time to give and Mm -hmm. if you're trying to still be the best yourself that's less time that you can give to your students so once you completely you know realize that you have to give everything you have to your students that's that's the best thing for them you know they're going to get the most of you when you're no longer concerned about trying to stay at the top
1: yourself right and that's a hard thing for instructors to do because there's a balance you have to walk and I have to walk this like my body has been breaking down for the past few years I've got injuries I've got conditions that you're still trying to figure out what they are I've just scheduled a surgery uh, this morning for in a couple of weeks for my hand and just all kinds of little things over the years. So for the past, I mean, since I've gotten my black belt, I have, I've not been at my best grappling. My best grappling condition was early into my brown belt. And then physically speaking since then, it's been a little downhill, but right now I can teach a class twice as good as I used to be able to, because I've what I had to realize was I'm not going to, win any world championships anytime soon. And I'm fine with that. But I want to, I want to teach the best class that I possibly can, whether we're teaching basic shrimp concepts or something a little more elaborate. Like I want the students who take my class, which I teach the Wednesday night class here. I want the ones who come and take my class to walk away every class going, I didn't know that about whatever it is and now I and to me if I can do that then that's that the 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 ship has already sailed on me ever being the fearsome you know mad enforcer that kind of guy but I do it it's just the beginning of being able to create and teach and pour into the next generation so it's tricky though because you don't at the same time if you're a black belt or or even a hot brown belt or something you don't want to be a pushover You know, you don't want students who are way less experienced than you to just be able to muscle through you or power through you or things like that. So you do have to keep your your sword a little sharp, but it does get harder. And and it's there will be more times the older you get and the more advanced and more injuries that you're going to have to say, okay, in this moment, I can choose between my ego or another injury. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. I, I completely agree with you. I feel the same way with regards to competition versus instruction. My, my goal now is to, to be the best possible instructor for my students, to, to take them further than I could go, and even more so than that, to be the best coach. I like nothing more than to coach someone to a win against someone who's better than them that they had no business beating because we're better strategically we're better um with our game plan everything is perfect the preparation was perfect and you you win because of preparation you know that's what i really take pride in teaching the perfect class and then coaching you know Mm -hmm. that's for me and for you as well, that's what's going to keep you, keep both of us in jiu-jitsu a lot longer, you know, because everyone's athleticism is, is fleeting, unfortunately. Time catches up with everybody, no matter what.
1: Yeah, yeah it does, absolutely.
0: So tell me uh, or tell us about the day you got your black belt. That had to be, for some people, it's usually the most important day of, of their jiu-jitsu journey. Mm-hmm. Fill, fill us in on that day.
1: It was, it was in, I believe it was 2018, 17 or 18. I have to go back and look, but um, I, our, our belt promotions are never known. Like we never know when we're getting any promotion. And so it was a, during our trip to Henzo's, it was Monday morning. And I knew that one of our students was probably getting his brown belt and tc would kind of you know when we have a group trip up there together and this time there were probably like maybe 10 or 12 of us um it's special to do some promotions up there at the main academy and so he he had told us hey guys monday morning be downstairs or be upstairs we did on the third floor He said be upstairs um at whatever time wear your gi now the class after that was a no gi class, so we knew that it was so people could get promoted. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, showed up and and he he had gotten fox to come. Silver fox, Carl Kravick is um, one of uh, one of my good friends who you know mentors and and people over the years who I just think is the best kept secret in jujitsu. Uh Just a phenomenal phenomenal instructor, and he was there when I got my purple belt. We did a seminar that he came and talked. And so it was cool. He showed up that morning. And part of it was uh, practical because TC was at that point. He had not gotten his second degree. So if you don't have your second degree, you can't promote to black belt. Um, you can promote up to, I think, up to brown belt. And then when you get your second degree, then you can start promoting black belts. I, I'm, I think. I, I'm, I believe you're correct. But it's Henzo it, within the Henzo Association, and um, so Fox was there. Which you know we were all gathered upstairs in the the MMA, like in the ring, the boxing ring, where they do MMA stuff. But there wasn't any training going on, and and I was filming, and my buddy got his brown. You know, people got a couple of people got strided Not striped, A couple of people got a belt um and then i knew the big one i thought the big one was my friend Dave getting his brown belt like that was going to be the big one and so i was filming and you know he got his brown belt he was surprised and we were all excited for him and in my head i had thought i was about two years away from black belt like in my head, <laughs> i can't like, i probably about probably about two years away then i'll be ready and then uh tc was like there's one more we have to do and he pulled the black belt out of his uh and I you can hear me on tape. I just go, shut your mouth. Like, <laughs> I was just, literally the first thing I said to him was shut your mouth when he pulled it out. And he was like, get on up here. And I just I walked up in a daze and he tied it on me and Fox and him both tied it together and, and Black Rob was there, gave me a big hug afterwards. And it, I mean it was it was insane because we had to then go downstairs to John's class. Oh, no. <laughs> I would then be going downstairs to John's class as a black belt. Oh. And so then I was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> like the bullseye is even bigger. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was a while. That, that morning was pretty surreal. I had no, no clue. Was, I was thinking I was two years away. getting my black belt that's awesome
2: it doesn't matter whose black belt story it is it makes me tear up every time (laughs) because um you know how much is put into it especially if you've if you've been training for a few years that it's like so very many people want to get there and can't make it
1: yeah it was so congrats i
2: I wasn't there but congratulations (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Well, well, to have it done there too was just real you know, because, you know, like I got to go downstairs and take a picture with my belt in the basement up against the logo, you know, like we're where all these guys that I've watched for, you know, 13, 12, 13 years, they all, that's the Enzo Gracie black belt wall. You take your picture there, and then when you open your academy, you put that as your academy right. picture, you know?
0: Yep.
1: So I was like, man, I'm, I, I can do this now, this is, and then if there's a promotion ceremony, like I stand with the black belts now, that just feels so wrong. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was phenomenal, and it was the first, was the only time I've ever genuinely been speechless. I, they were like, speech, speech, and I, I speak for a living. <laughs> and I had no idea what to say. I mumbled something out about thanking them and, and not to give up you know, generic black belt speech, but I literally have no idea. I was still processing. Like, wait, what? <laughs> that's awesome. I, yeah.
0: yeah, I think every black belt story is is special because of the time that it takes to get there. You know, it's so uh, yeah.
1: that's really cool.
0: And well, you and so how- after
1: that, I went downstairs and changed to get ready for John's class, and it, the only people in the locker room were me and GSP. and he was getting <laughs> class. But I was like George, hey, you know, I talked to him briefly. I, I'd met him years ago. Like, but I had just drawn his card for cops uh, as a you know one of the, the my jobs my side gigs and so I was like George I just drew you actually we signed this originally and he was like oh you're the artist huh? yeah <laughs> so, uh, standing there in our underwear in the locker room you Now a picture of him holding the card up
2: I am the uh, biggest <laughs> fan of his I loved him when I, we used to watch UFC.
1: He's awesome. He's so nice and so personal. I
2: think we even got like a workout video of his. What was
1: <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> that.
2: Yes, it was. I lent it to one of my friends and never got it back. It was like a VHS.
0: <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
0: Um, so you, you've you been a black belt now for four years? Uh,
1: going, I think going on four years. I think February will be four years. And you got
0: your first degree just recently, right?
1: It was last February. February, nice. Yeah, back in February.
0: So just to transition a little bit, you have a couple different causes that you are working on, one of which we've sort of alluded to. Um, You're an artist, and you draw MMA fighters, jiu-jitsu fighters, Star Wars figures. I mean... There's there's an endless amount of things that you draw or can draw. Tell us a little bit about your artwork, and then uh, after that, let's uh, let's finish up talking about uh, refugee jujitsu.
1: Yeah, sure. My the artwork thing. My undergrad degree. Two. I have two degrees in art in college, so associates and bachelors. And I years ago started drawing, uh, focusing on portraits. Just likes doing portraits and color pencil portraits especially and i would draw a different fighter the first fighter technique literally the first fighter i ever drew was gina carano like after, right after her first uh fight with julie kedzie back way back when uh it was on the elite xp card that enzo fought frank jamrock but i saw a picture of her in a magazine and like i'm gonna draw this just because i had done portraits but i would never done any fighters and I was heavily Ju- I mean, I was at that just starting training MMA. I was actually training to take a do an amateur MMA fight, and before I got sidelined by different injuries and things. But I drew Gina, and then I actually started drawing. I connected with uh, Felice herrick who fights in the UFC now. Back when she was on the show Fight Girls, mm-hmm. and we we actually connected on MySpace, and <laughs> I a couple of pictures of her, and she shared them and. Uh, you know, we just actually like we talked a little bit, became friends, talked on the phone and uh, I'd send her artwork and she would send me like fight gear. And so it was kind of cool. But I, she was like my muse. I always joke. She was my muse because I like doing portraits. I will always choose to draw women over men because women are just more aesthetically pleasing to draw than men are. <laughs> and <the laughs> reason that women are all throughout art history, the subjects of art uh, more than men. And, but especially the martial arts aspect of it, I really enjoyed adding it. So drawing, you know, a, a number of my early portraits I did were, were up and coming women fighters. Like I did one of Paige Van Zandt before she was in UFC. And I would contact the fighter and be like, hey, I want to do a portrait, one for my portfolio, just my own um, body of work. But also I'll send you prints of the, you know, as many prints as you want in a digital scan, you can do what you want with it. And if you would mind, can we auction off the original, just sign it, or, or you know, tell your fans, we auction off the original and then half will go to a charity of your choice and half will go to a charity that I supported called International Justice Mission, which works against human trafficking around the world. And without an exception, every fighter, one, the, the female fighters were so appreciative because at the time it was before women were in the UFC. Right. And no, but female fighters were as like they could barely get anybody to pay attention to them or take them seriously. And so that was part of like strategically, one of the reasons that I would draw more female fighters is to give them, to let them know, Hey, you know, some of us out here, see what you're doing, appreciate it. And, you know, gonna support you and, and help build you up. And so all of the female fighters I have Contacted were like really you want to draw awesome yeah here's a for- here's a picture you can work from this and that and would share my work and then them sharing it other fighters would see it and then when I draw you know some of the male fighters they would see it and and it was hit or miss some would retweet it or share it on their social media some would you know just I never heard from depending on how I guess how famous they were but I just built up a body of work that way and then also I focused on I, I noticed jujitsu academies every academy you know they have their lineage so it started with every academy has uh, Carlos and Elio on their wall somewhere and I was like I can see ours me.
0: from right here right out the door <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah they, I mean it's you know they are the basic founders of what became jiu-jitsu for the most part and so I did a couple of portraits of them and then just decided okay I'm going to start drawing the different patriarchs of jujitsu so that every academy I go to, whether i visit visited or contact somebody or meet somebody, a fighter, anybody that trains, I can say, Oh, Hey, I've drawn someone in your lineage. Here's a print.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the more I did that, the more people, you know, some people started wanting them. And then I've seen bootleg versions of my stuff. <laughs> Uh, One guy, I was at my friend Paul Creighton's School in Atlanta and he's talking to a guy in Italy and the guy in Italy sees the portrait I drew on his wall behind him. He's like, hey, wait a minute. And he takes the phone over and puts it to his wall and he's got a poster of my work that is totally bootleg. I have no idea where he got it. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs) So so it just it grew from there and then tops trading card company um, was looking for artists to do UFC sketch cards, hand drawn trading cards that they insert into packs randomly as like uh, one of one collector items. So they, the guy from Topps reached out to me and I did a set, I did a series for them. And then I did a couple more and then their baseball department reached out and then their Walking Dead and Star Wars and
2: that's incredible. Um,
1: the different departments, you know, once, once you're kind of in the artist queue that, of artists that they've worked with and you've turned in stuff on time and this and that, then they'll they'll invite you to do more and you decide if you want to do them or not. So, yeah, it came from there. But I always try to use the art to fund the um, my ministry at the time. And then when I started my refugee program. Back in 2015, instead of doing donating to the different charities I was passionate about supporting, I started saying, "Okay, it's all going to go to this because we don't have any donor base." Right. So that's what then my artwork focus has become. Okay, you know, let me let me support this however I can.
0: So, who are some of your most requested or or your best-selling, if you will, martial artists? portraits people
1: done. With prints. I, they they want the usually they want the maeda print that i've done um, Count Coma it's maeda and then depending on which side of the family they follow on carlos or alia those are still i mean because that's kind of everyone's lineage Don't for you? the most part. So everyone
0: needs does. one of those to start their start the yeah. starter agreement. pack
1: yeah <laughs> yeah robert drysdale would disagree if, if you read True. his recent book that <laughs> was well, a fun little dust up on uh, <laughs> you know, Tom that, that was
0: pretty controversial for sure
1: <laughs> but, um, but i like robert's book it was very informative but but yeah there there is question about lineage obviously but for the most part and symbolically of course everybody still traces their roots back to either one or both Carlos and Alio in yeah. some way
0: so uh tell let's start right at the beginning refugee jiu-jitsu how did that start what is it and uh where can people find out more about it
1: so uh, i'll do the last one first if you go to discipledojoorg refugee so uh disciple dojo is my organization my 501c3 and Refugee Jitsu is just all one word together, Refugee Jitsu, it's, it's an outreach of Disciple Dojo. So you go to slash refugee and tells our, all our information, pictures, video, everything. How it started was back around 2014, early 2015, I was really disheartened by, so the Syrian refugee crisis was raging at that time and I, as I'm, I'm a Christian uh, Bible teacher, and I saw the response online to people who claim to be Christians talking about refugees as like an infestation, or uh, comparing them to like a poison bowl of skittles, and you know, if just one's poisoned, you don't take the bowl, you throw the whole bowl out. You know, just all these images that 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 secular nationalists political uh people were were using and i saw christians taking those same approaches and it blew my mind in a bad way because you know i tell people like jesus was a middle eastern refugee i mean as a baby he and his family had to flee their homeland escape for their lives go to egypt and only later able to come back after the the threat had died down that is the story of so many refugees and so it just didn't make sense how Christians, especially, but everybody was treating these people who were literally fleeing for their lives, looking at them with suspicion instead of welcoming. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I wanted to do something uh, the year before 2014. I had spent time in the Middle East, in Palestine, and I was walking through a refugee camp in Palestine, the Ida refugee camp. And I was just seeing, I had met with uh, peacemakers and and people that week for a conference. And I was seeing just the need, my my desire was, I wanna come to Bethlehem in the West Bank and start a jujitsu camp for the kids in the refugee camps so that they can have jujitsu, so they can focus their energy and their anger and their frustration and their despair they can have something to focus and and to devote themselves to and just all the good that jujitsu can do in a kid's life. And so I wrote up a proposal. It it never, I was never able to get that going just logistically and cost wise. And uh, it just, I I would love to do that one day. That's still kind of in the back, but I realized when I got back, Charlotte is a refugee hub in one of the cities where we get a lot of refugees, they get resettled here through the federal program. And so I started reaching out to different organizations here that already work with refugee families to help them assimilate and, and get on their feet and said, you know, what can I do? I don't have money, but I can teach. Is there a need for a self-defense or anti-bullying class? Cause I know a lot of refugees, I mean, immigrants in general but especially Middle Eastern immigrants and especially Muslim Middle Eastern immigrants face a lot of bullying or suspicion or uh, anti Islamic sentiment, whenever there's any attack or anything like that. Right. And there had just been attack in San Bernardino, where a Muslim couple had shot up uh, a workplace. And so I knew, like, there's going to be backlash, there's going to be suspicion. So I've reached out to the Islamic Center here in Charlotte and said, Hey, I, I'm a Bible teacher in the area do ministry i i just we need to be friends uh because that's what the world needs we we need to be friends and show the community that christians and muslims don't have to hate each other and and that we're neighbors and this and that and they were super gracious uh had me over for coffee or tea and um we talked and and it turned out one of the directors had actually been on the, the judo team for kuwait back in the 80s in the olympics and so yeah oh, that's he had, awesome been, Yeah, he came and taught a few classes for my kids, Um, but it it just started that way. It was very organic, going to an organization at the time. It was called Project 658 and saying, hey, here's what I would like to do. Do you have a need for it? And the person on staff at the time was like, yes, this would be great. Let's do it. So we did our first um, self-defense session. We didn't have any mats. We didn't have any equipment. It was just standing self-defense, basic strikes and, you know, wrist grabs and this kind of thing. And about a dozen kids showed up.
2: That's and incredible.
1: They said, we're gonna do this again. And I was like, I'll do it if y'all will. So the next, that Christmas, we we, we took a break and then we started in the new year with um, weekly class. And so I had to, the, the, the one story I have to tell when people ask is, I was thinking about this for, how to do this. And I, I had done some scribbling, you know, down some figures and realized, okay, to get this going and to get the equipment and everything, I'm going to need about $3,000. So I started trying to do as much project sales as I could and was telling people, you know, like I'm selling my pieces for a hundred dollars. I normally sell for 200 I'm selling for a hundred and all the proceeds are going to go to this. And, And I was just trying everything I could. And after like a month or so, I had raised $500 and it was just very demoralizing and frustrating. And then one day I got a a letter in the mail and I opened it up and it was from a couple in my church who, who I was good friends with. They didn't know anything about it. Nothing. They just, the note said, Hey, we want to support your ministry, my, my Bible teaching and all that. Thought you could use this for the holidays, whatever. Use it how you need it, and it was three thousand dollars. Wow,
0: that's amazing.
1: I, yeah, so I just like you know cried all night and was just like, all right, this is this is the sign. That yeah, I
0: God um, works in mysterious ways.
1: Right, it would be wrong to not do it now. So I used that money to buy the first mats that we roll out and uh, a couple of um, you know some basic like hand targets and kicking shields because we do basic strikes and we we got going and we got up to before the pandemic we had about 30 25 30 kids um and from all over the world my first students were from afghanistan muslim family from afghanistan that i met at a christmas dinner which was funny mm-hmm. and um they and i and i'm looking actually to hire the the son now has grown he's, he's a man now he was 15 at the time but i'm looking to hire him as our first part time helper. Um, oh, like that's great. So, so I
2: think I've seen through some of your pictures and what you've shared that is that one of them that's come up through the ranks in jujitsu a little bit. So he's
1: yeah, my first, he's, he was my first blue belt. I had two okay. blue belts and he was the first one. And you know, now he's at that, you know, going to school, college, but also having to work his way through. And I was like, well, you, you make a good assistant instructor, you already know this curriculum. So, awesome. so that's why, you know, that's why we're for fundraising. The more we can fundraise, the more regular monthly donors we have, then I can start budgeting, like hiring help, expanding the classes. Because we've we've had our classes are seven year olds or our youngest and like 19 and 20. Wow. And they're all in the same class because we we just have only have one class 90 minutes a week. One so time. you
2: have yeah. options for people to to be able to contribute to this organization on a monthly basis. So,
1: it, um... yeah, yeah, on the donor page at the org, When you click the support button, you can choose to do a one time or a monthly uh, and whatever amount you want. But, yeah, the the more monthly donors, the more stable our finances are, the more we can plan long-term. You know, I want to break into two classes eventually. We want to possibly get another location. Right now we're meeting at a church that's really, really gracious to let us stay there and store all our stuff. Um, but eventually having maybe two locations, breaking up the classes, seven to 12-year-olds and then teenagers, things like that that we just i am I'm – I'm, I'm a one-man show <laughs> right now with – with some good volunteers that come, but volunteer help can't always be depended on because they have a and jobs in school and everything. Right.
2: right. And yeah. as far as equipment, geese, rash guards, is all of that provided to the families through this as well?
1: Yeah, the, our students have to earn their geese and belts. They can't buy them. So That's they, great. Until I think they're ready. And then I tell them when, I, when I'm when i comfortable putting a belt around your waist, I'll give you a gi and you'll officially be a student. Until then, you're just trying out jujitsu and seeing if you like it. So I, I make them, you know, they have to help put out the mats every week. They have to clean. I, I do very much the Miyagi dough. Yeah. You know, I pack out rags and I spray the mat and then we all get on our hands and knees and wipe them down and then roll them back up. And so it's, we, we focus on character development leadership development and discipline and and focus and all that kind of stuff.
2: Okay.
1: Um, but yeah, they have to earn it. So we, we don't do any, no, nothing about the program is paid. I tell some of the parents that bring kids that have financial means, because uh, not all of our families are, are low income. But I tell them, if you want to support if you want your kid, you know, let your kid come and train. It's all free, they're not going to pay but you support the program you know like here's the link give here and then our finance director sees and handles all that and awesome. so we, we try to keep me as far away from anything involving money as possible for <laughs> everybody. go to the yeah. link <laughs> yeah, it's just like not it's not my you know I don't I don't ever want to be somebody who does what he does to for money. Um, so I just handle let, let our board handle all of that.
0: So you said you've been doing that. This program's been going on since 2015.
1: Christmas of 2015, we started. Excellent, now. excellent. Awesome.
0: All right. Uh, any other final thoughts you have? We're just past uh, the uh, hour mark here, so um, give us uh, just give us the website again uh, for both your artwork and for uh, Refugee Jitsu, um, where they can learn some more, if you would.
1: Yeah, you can see my, so the Refugee, the Refugee jitsu website, it's DiscipleDojo.org. And you, at the top, you can either click on the, the link to find Refugee jutsu jitsu or you can just do DiscipleDojo.org slash refugee. Um, and then my art, if people want to see it, I don't update the page as much as I should because Refugee jutsu jitsu and disciple dojo take up probably 90% of my time now. But my art is at jmsmith.org. J, jmsmith.org. Yep.
0: Excellent. All right, JM, I appreciate uh, appreciate you calling in and uh, coming on the podcast. So we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Absolutely. Bye, JM. Bye. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you.
0: Remember, you don't need to move fast. You simply need to move forward life presents all of us different obstacles it's easy to give up however get up smile and put one foot in front of the other everything works out i promise you tom de